What's up, everyone? Welcome to the Finance for Physicians podcast. I'm your host, Daniel Wren. Join me as we dig into what it looks like for physicians to begin using their finances as a tool to live better lives. You can learn more about our resources at financeforphysicians.co. Let's jump into today's episode. What's up, guys? Hope you're having a great day. So we're going to be talking digital gold. Have you ever heard of digital gold? It's kind of a a new uh, term people are using to uh, describe cryptocurrency uh, and Bitcoin in particular we're going to talk about today. So we're going to be talking with a buddy of mine, Chase Branham. He currently works for a, um, a big big player in the Bitcoin industry, uh, Kraken. It's K-R-A-K-E-N, Kraken. They're a um, uh, company where you can hold, buy and sell and trade cryptocurrencies. And so he's actually been in the industry for a really long time relative to the industry. The industry, I would say, is a, you know, a relatively new industry. I guess the idea has not even really been around that long. And so Chase has been in for quite a while. And I would definitely, I would confidently say he knows more about cryptocurrency than anyone I know. So we're going to be talking about the basics of kind of how it works, uh, how it came about, and then talk about some uh, things to be thinking about if you're potentially considering investing in, uh, in Bitcoin. So it should be a fun conversation. Bitcoin is definitely exciting uh, and cryptocurrencies are exciting. They're extremely exciting. I mean, to the point where it's um, potentially dangerous. So uh, before we jump into it, I wanted to kind of throw out some, uh, you know, like disclaimers. Just be careful if you're going to invest in stuff like this. It's extremely volatile. So you'll hear us talk about some of the experiences Chase has had. I think he talks about like a day he lost 50% of the value. So that's not even close to his, it's like so much more volatile than your typical investment that most people will encounter in like their everyday, say like work retirement plans. So that's exponentially more value, uh, volatile. So you have to be careful with those types of investments. I think I would go in assuming you could lose all your money. So I guess proceed with caution uh, if you're going to be investing in something like this. Definitely be you don't want to be putting your entire uh, nest egg in there, especially when you don't understand exactly how it works. Uh, so you have to be careful, um, proceed with caution, caution um, understand the volatility before you invest in something like this. Definitely talk to your advisor before you put money in, into something like this. It's a very new and unproven thing, but it's definitely an exciting thing and has you know potential. Um, I'm cur- very curious about it and curious to hear how it shakes out in the future. Uh, we'll talk a, a little bit about what Chase thinks about uh, the future of Bitcoin as well. So just wanted to throw that out there before we get started. So let's uh, let's jump into to the conversation. Chase, what's up, man? How's it going, Daniel? It's going well. So uh, we're, we're going to be talking uh, talking about some uh, cryptocurrency, and I'm excited about our conversation. Before we get into that, tell us a little bit about you. Well, I uh, coincidentally used to work with Daniel in the financial planning world. Back in the good old days. Back in the good old days. So, you know, I guess about three years ago, I guess we worked together a couple of years at Room Financial Planning. I caught the Bitcoin bug, left to go full time back in 2018, three years ago now. Mm-hmm. What was the company you left? So I work for a company called Kraken. Kraken is a exchange where people can buy and sell different cryptocurrencies. A lot of people are probably familiar with Coinbase. Coinbase public recently, very high profile direct listing. 
We are probably their biggest competitor here in the United States, but we do have like global operations and operate all over the place. Okay. So y'all are like a Coinbase type company? Exactly. Gotcha. What is your role there these days? So I'm client facing, kind of do a lot of different things, actually. You know, I was hired to kind of work with some of our biggest clients on exchange, uh, so like different hedge funds, trading firms, things of that nature. Uh-huh. Gotcha. Cool. So how in the world, I know, I think I know the answer to this, but for those that don't, how, how did you get into this and what, I mean, you were, well, when I think is important too. So when did you get interested in cryptocurrency and then what prompted it? I was at least aware of Bitcoin back when I was in college. Which was? I uh, graduated in 2013, uh, but it was really unclear to me. Like the, the concept itself made sense, but I was lacking some like key pieces. I think I was first sent a little bit of Bitcoin uh, like in 2014 and just only passively like interested until, I don't know, had some sort of magic moment, 2016, 2017, uh, that big run up and kind of have been hooked ever since. In 2016 and 2017? Yeah, that's when I like really kind of dove in, learned like what is going on here. You know, I think a lot of people get interested by the price swings. I don't think I was any different in that. Like what is going on here? Why are, why is the price going up? Then it collapses and you, you, you kind of forget about it. And then it comes roaring back and like, why is that happening? And so that happened a couple of times and I'm like, okay, like I got to figure out what's going on here and went down the rabbit hole and have been there ever since. So yeah. Yeah. So I was there, you know, once it kind of reclaimed that high in 2016 or, or I'm sorry, early 2017, it was just like, this is uh, going to be, I think, pretty big. So since then, it's up like 4,000 plus percent <laughs> or something crazy, right? Yeah, I don't even know. I mean, we had a bit of a little sell off. And that's now. Yeah, 38. I think it got up to 64 a couple of weeks ago, um, 64,000. So yeah, like 60x probably since then. Yeah, yeah. So you were just interested in the concept of it and decided to kind of learn more about it. And that's kind of where it all started for you. And you've, um, I would kind of describe you you as a uh, kind of a long on Bitcoin, all in on Bitcoin sort of uh, person, which I think is, you know, a healthier approach, right? So is that correct? Or what is your kind of take on like to the broader like cryptocurrency space? I mean, I think. 99% of what's out there or what people talk about is a distraction from like what's actually going on. There is sort of like some fascinating things, you know, so I'm like, I wouldn't say I'm only care about Bitcoin. Uh, it is definitely like my primary con- concern. So yeah, like it's, you hear a lot about like the Dogecoin and like everything going crazy. But the, like, I think it's like generally a distraction from the long-term perspectives. Yeah. So like, is it something that you think, well, let's get into the basics. So can you explain for those that are not familiar, like what actually is is Bitcoin? Maybe we'll just use Bitcoin because that's the most well-known. I know there's multiple, but can you give us like the high level? Like what is it? How does it work? What's the... Yeah, so Bitcoin like, it came to existence in 2008. It was just an anonymous white paper. Nobody knows who created it. It released it onto the world. And what that eight-page paper ultimately described was this computer network that we now know as the blockchain uh, which enables us to transfer digital uh, goods, money in this case, peer to peer without a central authority. That is, you know, there are certain mechanisms underlying the blockchain that makes that possible. But ultimately, that's the big idea. It's like we now fundamentally, as of 2008, have the ability to send money globally the same way that you would hand a $100 bill to someone sitting next to you. There doesn't have to be someone, anybody sitting in between 
you know, that transaction. There's no bank. There's no payment process. There's nothing else. We can now send any infinite sums of money globally near instant and almost for free. So that is what the blockchain enables. Yeah. And so then cryptocurrency or Bitcoin was was born around that time. And so Bitcoin, my understanding is it's it's got a uh, limited supply. And, you know, I think of pricing of, 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 of investments is driven by supply and demand. So maybe talk a little bit about what's up with all this pricing craziness and what drives Bitcoin's price. You know, is it is it, uh, you know, as simple as supply and demand? It is like very much supply and demand. Uh, there is a 21 million cap on the existing or on the uh, amount of Bitcoins that will ever exist. They are released programmatically over time. So every 10 minutes, new Bitcoins come into the world and until there's 21 million and then there will never be any more. So it draws a lot of gold comparisons for that reason. Like it's seen as like this finite supply, digital version of gold. The reason people like gold, you know, for its um, scarcity, uh, they also sort of like Bitcoin for the same reasons. Um, so as far as like the price, like what drives it or yes, it ultimately is supply and demand. There's sort of... Uh, two parts to the price in my perspective is like the value in use like what are people actually using it for its intended like use cases like what are the real world applications of this technology and then you know it's a big idea a lot of people like are buying into like its future value in use so they're speculating on it so there's like the value in use and there's like this speculative premium on top but when you look at these price gyrations what's ultimately happening is you know people get excited for whatever reason they drive up the price because there's only a fixed amount this brings in more speculators and it creates this sort of like cyclical loop. Eventually we run out of marginal buyers. You know, there might be some news that comes out like it's going to, and it just washes out most of the speculators. Speculators take their profits. People start to capitulate down, down, sell, sell. And then but what you find is like with each run up and each subsequent crash, there's an ever increasing base of users that have stayed around. Each new cycle, new people come in brings in speculators, but some of those speculators turn into like users of the, of the asset and of the technology. Go back and look at a historical price chart of Bitcoin. You're going to see a big run up, a big crash, but the crash will ne has never to this point gone below the prior sort of cycles, you know, average level or, you know, even the peak to this point. So, you know, the prior cycle all time high of 2016, kind of what we talked about, I think it like peaked around $1,200. Uh, subsequently crashed to about $150 and then slowly regained over a few years. And then in 2016, it reclaimed that $1,200 price point, ran to $20,000, came back and crashed to $3,200. So it was almost 3x its prior price high is where it settled in at. In a couple more years, just slow um, grind up and then eventually it reclaims those highs and then it's off to the races again. So that's kind of where we're at today. You know, we we broke the all time the prior all time high back in December at twenty thousand dollars, and then it uh, has since three x that, and now we're kind of coming down a little bit. I don't know if the bubbles or whatever you want to call it, the this, this, I don't know if the top is in. I'm not here to make those calls, but uh, we are in this sort of price discovery mode of um, nobody really knows like how much of the existing price is like value and use, and how much is speculation. But you know. Along the way, we are going to have these like big major corrections where we wipe out some speculators, build a new base, and then on to the next one. Yeah, so its intent is to be a, cur a currency, correct? Like, is that what its purpose is? A currency? Yeah, it's certainly like a currency. Like, I guess you have to define currency if you want to like 
if you want to classify it as such or not, um, it doesn't really act like a currency from the standpoint of like it's volatile. Um, but that's like true of a lot of currencies, right? Like um, Venezuela and Bolivar, like the Argentinian peso. Like there's a lot of like volatile currencies against the dollar. This is one of them. That that draws a lot of people away. Like it's too volatile to be a currency. That's where they sort of disqualify it. But like we've never really seen a monetary asset go from worth zero to worth like many trillions of dollars ever before. Like we have real time pricing of that progression. Um, so like there's expected volatility away, like along the way. Like we if it is going to achieve what people think it can, it's inevitable that we're going to have some upwards and downwards volatility. Will it be used for everyday payments? Like is it going to replace the dollar or uh, any other or like become the one global currency, like probably not. Uh, it's much more likely, in my opinion, that it acts alongside of it as like a sort of like a gold equivalent. You can kind of store your wealth in the Bitcoin. And then when you're ready to transact, you just move over to like the currency of your like local, you know, wherever you reside. Yeah, I think the, the number one uh, question people have, at least that I talk to is, you know, should I invest in Bitcoin? And I think they're saying the word invest and so they're thinking of like, can I get, can I do better with my money in Bitcoin? Like their mentality is like, I invest in my whatever investments I invest in now. And should I move those investments to Bitcoin because they're going to do better? That's kind of the number one question people have. And I think they're seeing their buddies, you know, everybody talks about their wins and not their losses. Uh, so people are talking about all their Bitcoin winnings. Uh, at the dinner table and all that stuff. So what are your thoughts on? Yeah. So like the investment case for Bitcoin, I guess is the question. Um, I think it's a compelling investment case. You know, everybody kind of looks at the price uh, and, you know, what is worth $40,000 or $37,000, whatever it is. Like that seems like ridiculous, like no stock, like they compare it to a stock or something. It's so far from a stock. So far from a stock. You're exactly right. But that's like, everybody's sort of anchored to that. Like they, when they think investing, they're comparing it to a share of Apple or to, you know, a dollar for even like if you are thinking currency, like we'll compare it to a dollar. Like, why is this worth worth thirty seven thousand of what I use every day? Like, you know, that's the number one objection. Like, it's a currency you can't even buy anything and you can't do anything. With it. Like, why is it worth anything? So, like the investment case is like you have to sort of step back and 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 actually compare it to uh, what it could be. So, like the, once again, like the number one thing that people are comparing it to is gold. Uh, it's finite in supply. Uh, it's non sovereign, meaning it's not controlled by any government. It's just like gold. It's like that is that is the, the comparison. I, you know, the people that are really convicted by it, like think it's a lot bigger idea than gold. Uh, you can't really transport gold. It's hard to sort of verify. It's sort of hard to audit the supply. We don't really know what the supply is out there or what the what could be uncovered mining. Like there's a lot of like things about gold that people view Bitcoin as way better. But just to like contextualize the price of Bitcoin across like gold, if you were to equalize their market caps against each other, one Bitcoin would be roughly like three hundred and fifty thousand uh, dollars. So Bitcoin, the people who like Bitcoin think that it is a much bigger idea and a much has a much higher ceiling than gold, and it has a fraction of its market cap. So we still see it as like very nascent, very young, very with a ton of room for growth. There's still like it's you know it's still very difficult to kind of get your hands on it. You got to go through a lot of hoops. There's a learning curve. You know, the barriers there. What do you mean get your hands on it? Like to literally transact is not as easy as it. Well, to, you have to set up an account with like Kraken. Uh, you have to go in, give it some like KYC. It's like sort of opening an e-trade account, but like it's a little bit more difficult. There's like all these passwords that like people are 
intimidated worried about me. losing. There's like all this, uh, you know, negative press all the time about why, like, you know, it's own, you know, people are stealing it, like robbing you. Like, financial, there's a lot of, financial advisors hate it. Yeah, financial, yes, they really do. Uh, you know, broadly speaking, they don't talk. Yeah, so there's like all this like negative attention on it. There's all these like uh, obstacles to sort of like getting it. And, and as a result, like you have to put in work to like actually understand it and then go figure out how to own it. And so I see that as like an investment case, like half the people don't know how to do it are unwilling to learn about it. And if this becomes like, like sort of like a bigger thing and a more, and it is like every day we see it. Um, if someone can make this easy to buy and hold and send, it, it's only going to lead to more appreciation, more ownership across the 21 million Bitcoin. Yeah. It's so different than everything else. It's difficult to compare to things. Um, you think of like a company like Apple stock. Uh, that, I think that's what most people, like you said, compare it to. But that's like a business, an entity. And it, the profits are what drive the value uh, you know, of the underlying stock. But Bitcoin is people have a hard time wrapping their heads around like, what am I actually getting for my my dollars that I put into my Bitcoin. Right. There's no cash flows. There's no, um, there's no earnings. There's nothing like that. So like, once again, I'll like say like to view it through the lens of like your equity portfolio is like the wrong way to do so. And that's the most common mistake I see people say, like they really want to compare it to like Apple or um, something like that. It's, but it's not that at all. It's, it's much more akin to gold, like a, a commodity of sorts. And the reasons that people like gold are the reasons that people like Bitcoin, like, you know, when you talk about like a non-sovereign currency or a non-sovereign asset, the, you know, when, when, when you're in the U.S., like to talk about like removing your money from government control or something like that, that's like not that compelling. You're like, like we're pretty stable. We have a pretty stable economy, um, pretty stable government. But like when you when you think it, like other parts of the world, that's not the case. And in fact, I see it every day, like people in like Nigeria are trying to like as soon as they get paid in their local currency, they're trying to get out. Um, and the preference is dollars, but there's not a lot of dollars. Like the government, the U.S. government is the only people that can supply dollars. So they look for the next best thing. You know, Bitcoin offers a way to like exit your local government like currency with, you know, nothing more than an Internet connection. So like ultimately, the reason people the reason people are wanting it is because they, they, they do have skepticism towards governments. And like you may not have skepticism towards the United States to be able to exit it. It's the same way as gold. Like there's a like gold historically throughout like many millennia has been used as a money and used as an asset. And only recently have we gone away from like this gold standard or this gold back standard to this more fiat based economy. And people are now saying, well, we 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 may not want to do that. We want optionality. If we don't like our local jurisdiction, if we don't like what our government stands for and what they're like submit us to, like capital controls or what have you, we want a way out. And Bitcoin offers that. So it's not a company. It's not it, to view it within uh, the context of Apple stock is missing the mark. It's more so it's a much bigger idea than that. Like Apple is a single company within the United States. Like This is a global like asset that is available to anybody and everybody. And yes, it generates no cash flows, but like you can take ownership of your financial life. Like just by Yeah. So what drives like if we're looking five years from now or something like that, like taking a little longer term approach instead of like so bitcoin is so volatile and day by day even you know week by week it's like very very volatile still so um, if we take kind of a little bit of a longer term view 
like what happens that drives the price up in the next like five years from now? Let's say the price goes up a ton. Is it just simply more people are interested in it and wanting it in the essentially, you know, demand is higher? Is that what's, what's going to drive it up? Is that kind of the sole? People see like Bitcoin's eventual dominance. Like so when you're the way you're describing it, it's like a higher price. Uh, that's kind of how we measure its dominance, like its acceptance in, in society. Like you think about that value and use, how many people are using it, like you can kind of approximate that from its price. So for it to go much higher means more people are adopting it. And like, what is going to drive that? So you can sort of like view what might happen in the future by kind of looking at what's happened over the past 12 to 15 months. Like March of last year, we were trading at $4,000, uh, the COVID crash. Like I think it lost 50% in a single day. <laughs> and then it's it crossed 60. It had a 15X. So 50% the court, in a day. So everybody that had investments lost 50% max at the bottom and that was over the entire drop bitcoin lost 50 percent in a day yeah. i mean <laughs> last week last week it lost 30 percent a day like in a it, day yeah 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 so it's uh that is like just to be expected uh, that's not without precedent it's not it's not fun when it happens but like for everybody <laughs> in that, fact like, it's extremely on, painful <laughs> yeah it, but for everybody that held on like you've been rewarded with like a 15x from like peak to drop drop to peak whatever so, you know, what's going to, what has driven that is the question. And then like what might be similar drivers of future appreciation, you know, moving forward is number one, like talk about like exiting your government or like exiting your localized like, government led like fiat economy, like governments printed a ton of money, right? They flooded the system. People are fearful of inflation. When people are fearful of inflation, they look for like gold. Remember Bitcoin is like a parallel to gold. A lot of people see them as similar. One's way smaller, one's way more nascent. You know, it's riskier as well. Gold doesn't drop 50% a day. But uh, but the reason a lot of people are flooding it, and then like there are people who are coming out, important people with a lot of money behind them that are coming out in, in support of it. You know, many hedge fund billionaires, some of the best like macro investors of all time are coming out and saying, I'm betting on Bitcoin. Stan Druckenmiller, Paul Tudor Jones. There's a, it seems almost like, Every couple of months, there's someone big like that who is saying, I'm, I'm coming behind Bitcoin. And the reasons they are sort of. And that drives price up because that's more demand. And everybody's like, yeah, like if. if and Elon market, Musk puts Bitcoin and Tesla and all that. Yeah. So like it started with like these big like hedge fund billionaires coming in support of it. And then, you know, the next big wave is like this corporate sort of adoption. You know, so the first big or the first like publicly traded company put money or to put Bitcoin on their balance sheet was Michael Saylor of MicroStrategy. He did that back in the fall. I think Bitcoin was trading like around $12,000. And he put 100% of MicroStrategy's balance sheet into Bitcoin. And 100% was, of their balance sheet into Bitcoin? Yeah, 100% of their cash reserves. Of their cash reserves. Corporate treasury, yeah. So he essentially replaced their dollars in the bank with Bitcoin, right? Exactly what he did. 100%. And he still continues to do it. He actually went and took on, I think, like a billion dollars. He's actually taken on two separate debt offerings since then with the explicit purpose to buy more Bitcoin. So where that that confuses me a little, like, is he investing for a uh, liquidity reserve function or is he investing for the speculation? Like what's he sees it as like a liquidity reserve. You know, when you look at the government printing money, like I'm not taking a particular stance on this, but like in his words, like in his you know point of view, he sees the dollar's depreciation as an inevitability, a 100% chance that holding cash on your balance sheet is going to lead to like massive depreciation. 
the purchasing power is going to go down. And so he's taken a very extreme stance to put on to go to 100% opposite. And he's thinking very long term. He thinks, you know, this he sees this as an inevitability. Like if you can stand or withstand like the, the market cycles, you know, three on a three to four to you know 10 year time horizon, uh, you know, corporations are intended to last forever, right? So he's thinking from the from the perspective of you know, 10, 20 forever down the line. He wants to withstand. So to like keep it in depreciation a depreciating asset doesn't make a whole lot of sense to him. So like that's not his entire net worth. That's a slice of his pie, basically. I think that's what a lot of these billionaires are doing, or some of them all in on their entire net worth. Uh, Michael Saylor is a little bit uh, out there. He's like, he's, I think, about 100%. Everybody else, uh, you know, they're probably just like, yeah, allocating some portion to it. But, you know, the, the importance of Michael Saylor doing that with a publicly traded company who has all these reporting requirements, uh, you know, he has to defend to his shareholders that he's like acting in their best interest. Like, I have fiduciary responsibility to do so. And he felt that he was able to. He def- and, you know, every other publicly traded company would have had to make the same defense and will still have to make the same defense. But by one person doing it, it now becomes increasingly likely that someone else can do it. And yeah. If they put the defensibility of it all, of it, they can point to these other people like, I'm not the only crazy person out there that's this way. And so the next big one, you know, was Elon Musk. And yes, he did not put all of it, but he, he put some and he put $1.5 billion worth for what a lot of people consider like the greatest uh, entrepreneur of all time. That's a pretty big statement. And so Elon Musk feels like it is in his shareholders' best interest to hold Bitcoin on its corporate balance sheet. Instead of, is he, did he do a kind of similar thing? He replaced his cash reserves kind of? Yep. They're just moving out of, out of a hundred percent cash position and into a more like, you know, hybrid sort of allocation. It's just like a diversifying play more so than anything. And, and you know, the, the, there's other companies too, like Mass Mutual, like one of the big insurance companies. Historically, one of the most con- like conservative industries out there is insurance companies, and they put a hundred million dollars on the balance sheet. So you know, eventually, the enough companies do this that drives price up. Oh, it certainly drives Each price time up. That happens, but it becomes like almost um, self-reinforcing. Where you know, if you have to defend your shareholders, uh, you know, this fiduciary standard, eventually, you you if everybody else is doing it, you have to make the compelling of argument why why it's not in their best interest to put at least some sticks some exposure here. So like the idea, like where's this, where's the next price appreciation going to come from? It seems likely that if that does come, it'll be from like more corporation or institutional adoption. Yeah. What causes it to go down? Like if that's, I mean, I get the whole, it goes up, like people put in more money, big, big boys, when the big dogs start putting in the money, that's going to really drive it up. And the more that happens, that's going to make it even happen faster. And especially if like we turn over currency to it and all these things are leading to price increases with a supply and demand setup. But like what kind of scenario causes the price to go down, not day to day, but long term, like five, 10 years from now? There's like a, a lot of unsolved questions out there. A lot of unanswered questions, I should say, you know, this is still experimental. Like we're dealing with software. Anybody that's ever interacted with software technology, like it gets buggy. Like there's like unforeseen issues that go out there. So like perhaps we run into something like ridiculous like bug within the protocol that causes it to, you know, become obsolete. Secondly, you know, there's a lot of like regulatory uh, uncertainty. If the U.S. government decided they wanted to like outlaw its transfer ownership, it makes companies like mine where people get, are buying and selling it. 
uh, like we couldn't operate here, like a lot of people would be scared off and like sell. There's a lot of like assumptions built into like the network itself, like what makes it work. It's ultimately an alignment of all these incentives. And, you know, one of those incentives is like the new issuance of Bitcoin. Like that's a reward for people performing a very valuable service, uh, which is to secure the network. And once those Bitcoin, the new issuance of Bitcoin runs out, like is there going to be a sufficient reward to encourage people to continue to, to secure the network? So there's all these assumptions built in that haven't yet been completely stress tested. And so there's, it's, it's possible that down the line, we, we, we realize that one of those assumptions was not like robust enough. And, you know, we, we, we would have to iterate at that point. But What about competing currencies, cryptocurrencies? Does that have a negative effect on pricing, say for Bitcoin? Like if there was no competitors, would Bitcoin's price be higher than if there, because now there's a ton, right? I mean, as, for as long as it's like attracting some capital that would otherwise go to Bitcoin, I guess it impacts it. Um, I don't think that's like a super compelling uh, reason to be like skeptical of Bitcoin. You know, when you think about like monetary goods or like really any good that relies on a network effect to be relevant, you you it takes it's really difficult to replace. Like Bitcoin is the first. Bitcoin is the largest. Bitcoin is uh, has been around the longest. The reason it has achieved sort of the significance that it has is because it is like an order of magnitude or many orders of magnitude better than like its predecessors. To try to supplant Bitcoin, you're not going to be able to do so by competing it like with features. Like, you know, there's all these people coming, this one's a little faster, this one's a little uh a little cheaper fees, something like that. Those like you're 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 trying to compete with like Facebook is a good example of like something that relies on a network effect for its relevance. Like the reason people are on Facebook is because all their friends are on Facebook. Someone can't just come up with a new idea tomorrow that like is Facebook with a slightly better feature set. Facebook will just adopt it if it's actually that important. Yeah. Same same thing with like competing monies is like Bitcoin has like features that prior to its existence like were not possible. You know, now that it's possible, any newcomer that tries to supplant it with like an incremental sort of improvement is is like it's it's a sort of fool's errand it's just not feasible so facebook is i like that example the network because you know a network facebook if it, for any of you all that were in the early days of facebook <clears throat> it was super fast growth um i remember i was in college when there was like they were doing it like selective colleges only and everything and you're like oh yeah you got in your colleges on facebook um and then it grew extremely fast but now facebook is in this kind of phase of like I don't know if it, is it still growing. Um, I'm getting. I mean, our age group is like getting off of it. Like they're kind of yeah, like I'm not on it, but. trying to phase out of it. And you know, I haven't been on it in, in uh, you know quite a long time. And so with Bitcoin, I'm curious when they hit like uh, they kind of get their uh, market presence or whatever. When they hit their uh, stride and have full market exposure, I don't know what you call it. But at that point, like what happens to pricing? Does it stagnate? I mean, because then there's no new supply or new uh, demand. I mean, like that's probably the expectation is that like the volatility that everybody's sort of scared of now will get muted over time. Like there's just this saturation of like people who want to interact with it. Um, and and those people are like in it more sore. They're not like you, you, you've turned all the speculators into users, right? So at that point, like there's not much to wash out. And, you know, the beauty of like the technology and like what it aims to solve, like if you're thinking from a, you know, inflation hedge perspective is 
it is disinflationary. There's a fixed unit. So for every incremental like dollar that people wish to turn into it, it's just going to lead to a small appreciation in its overall price. So it, it becomes like this perfect sort of uh, preservation of purchasing power. Um, you just kind of stick in it. And, you know, a lot of people in your world, when you're talking to your clients about investing, a big part of that conversation is I want to put my money to work, right? Um, the reason people want to put their money to work is because they fear that it's not going to be worth as much or they can't buy as much a year or two down the line, like, like the housing market or something like that. Uh, you know, people want to be able to buy the same things a year from now, two years, five years from now that they can today. And, and historically, the way people have combated that is through investing. Investing comes with all these sorts of risks. Um, at some point, the idea is that Bitcoin becomes this mature asset that is not necessarily an investment. You're not trying to get outsized returns. You're just simply trying to preserve purchasing power. It becomes like a, it's a savings technology, not an investments technology. But like it is so young, like it, you know, it's it's an investment. Now you're definitely assuming a bunch of risk. But people, what people see, like the end state of this is like this much more muted price action. It like it becomes way less interesting from a you know watching the chart every day. Right. Well, there's now there's so much volatility and speculation. People are making bets on it, essentially. Uh, oh, yeah. Even, even yeah. some in the short term. Oh, the sh- no, the short term is like where is the almost like sole uh, reason for like the price rise and crash. It's like people, buy, especially on leverage, you know, people are borrowing money to put into this thing. Can you see data on like the long term buyers versus the short, like short term I mean, do you know an idea of like who's the short-term traders versus like the long-term buy and hold people? So yes, look, you can you can kind of look at where the bitcoins are coming from and going to, and how long it was since they last moved. So there's like all these metrics that people check. Like there's actual companies like worth many like billions of dollars that have been spun up whose sole purpose is to track the blockchain and like gather all this data and like you know aggregate it. So. One of those, like, is like when was it's kind of like a metric that tracks when the coin was last moved, and that gives you a composition of like how like how many people are long term holders versus how many people are just like have just acquired and they are they're they're this wallet particularly is like really uh, you know historically has been like a, a net seller like they're they're not holding positions for very long. You can gather all this data just by looking at the blockchain. Well, there's a base though. My point is there's a pretty substantial base of long term buy and hold type people for sure and that number it's really hard to tell though because like the only way to know if someone's buy and hold for a long period of time they would have had to have bought a long time ago right so you know every day presumably there's like people there's new people coming in with the intent to buy and hold for a very long time but that won't reveal itself for many years uh, yeah as many months but you can definitely it's hard to tell i guess it's more difficult to know who's a long-term holder than it is to know who is uh a short-term holder because their wallets or addresses might have a long history of really frequent or like short-term transactions. So everybody, a lot of people are interested in it. Like what do you think is a responsible way to start investing in it um, for someone just, you know, maybe you have interest in it and you're like, uh, sounds like a good kind of alternative. Uh, well, you could create a cra- an account Kraken. <laughs> and- uh, no, it's, 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 you know, ways to do it is like just to, I think, put a, put a little bit of money in. Like there's a lot of really easy to use solutions. Kraken's one. How do you spell that? K-R-A, it's just like the sea monster. K-R-A-K-E-N. Yeah. You know, or the cash app, like something like that. Like there's a number of ways where you can just like buy it. But, the, you know, what start I think. Start small. Start small. Get familiar with like 
how to like what it is like get get your own tolerance for like its volatility like how do you feel when like it goes up 10% a day or down 20% a day like uh, kind of handle a 50% one day drop <laughs> yeah like you definitely need to like run through the scenarios because anything is possible you go to like yeah, very low numbers very fast so like one is just like to get exposure uh create an account buy a little bit transact a little bit like move it to your cell phone like just send it from an exchange to like a self-custodial like cell phone what does that mean you've lost me there tell yeah so the beauty of bitcoin is like you know in your space like you're always mindful of like custodial relationship like who's your custodian like who's overseeing like the assets of your clients there's never historically been a possible way for someone to be like i want to be my own custodian like, i want to hold it the same way i hold my hundred dollar bill in my wallet um you have to keep it with someone else you have to keep it with the bank you have to keep it with uh you know, TD Ameritrade. You know, with Bitcoin, you can t- retain self custody. Like, you can keep just like you have a wallet in your back pocket. You can have a digital wallet that exists, like, on your cell phone or on a USB drive, and you can like withdraw your assets and hold it yourself. Um, nobody else oversees it. Like, it is this, it is a self custodial like technology. Like that is that is the uh, sort of breakthrough. You can now do that. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. So. Start small. So I think I'll throw out some ideas for small. I know you've got your own. Because <laughs> um, this is my financial planner's hat putting coming on. Like, And I would say this about any like highly volatile speculative asset. Um, you know, just I think percentages of assets or percentage of net worth kind of maybe in, so that you can kind of define small for you. So like maybe, I don't know, uh, 5% of your investment assets is like a kind of a five five percent or less is kind of a small you know or reasonable i guess is a better word uh way to start and maybe even like one percent or whatever if you have a substantial amount of assets like that's not gonna (laughs) make a big deal in your long-term goals and it's kind of a way to dip your toe in the water but i think some people seem to have with with Bitcoin, people have been, I've seen people do it pretty uh, reasonably, but I think most people, when they really, the average person starts to kind of get a taste for it, like say they buy some right now, they start small, they put 1% in there of their assets and it's, what is it now? What is it? 30,000 or something? What's the value of it? 40,000. So like in two weeks, it'll be $80,000, for example, <laughs> it'll double. And then what happens to a uh, early investor I've had this happen to me before, you know, a beginner investor is you attribute that doubling of value to your own skill. And so then your natural result is to put more money into it. Is that the healthy way to put more money into it? I know you're not going to say yes, but what's the healthy way to put more money? (laughs) Just dollar cost average into it. Like for me, I have a little bit of like, I get paid like a little bit every pay period. Yeah. You know, like it's just sits there. Um, you know, the, the you do 100% like, of your paycheck. I'm just uh, kidding. <laughs> no. Um, no, the, uh, you know, the saying is kind of like when the price is going up, like you, do, you never have enough exposure, but when the price is going down, like you always have too much exposure. So like, yeah, it's a really, yeah, it's like really tough, like psychologically to like manage your expectations. So, you know, I think it's wise to like put a little bit away every so often and sort of dollar cost into it and then like just reevaluate from time to time. Like, Take the volatility emotion out of it and yeah, just like don't even think about it. Like I would never encourage anybody to get involved in this like on a non like multi-year time horizon. Like if you're expecting to like get rich like next 
within the next six to eight months. Like that's entirely possible, I guess. I don't know, but like probably not likely. And it's certainly not like uh, reasonable to like go into that with a, as a, as the baseline like expectation. There's a market can like humble you like really fast. So it's almost certainly a better plan to, to ease into it. Just set like rules, rules based investing, right? Easy. $100 a month or a week, whatever you want to do. I don't know. Yeah. Start small. Are people putting their uh, qualified assets in Bitcoin? Yeah, there's like a like growing contingent of... Uh, so qualified assets are like Roth IRAs or... Right. Or so like, or, so a lot of people are doing like the self-directed IRA route to actually hold like coin within like actual Bitcoins in their uh, qualified accounts. But, you know, there's like a closed in fund that's pretty popular called GBTC, which is like sort of like approximates like Bitcoin. Like it, it's it's backed by Bitcoin, but like it doesn't perfectly track the price of it. So like right now it's trading at a discount, um, but like you can buy that. It's pretty expensive with these, but people definitely put it in there. The easiest way to get exposure to the price, you won't actually own the asset. You get price exposure uh, and you can do it in a qualified manner. You know, the big like exciting like, thing that people are looking forward to is like an actual like ETF that tracks it, you know, that actually is NAS, like NAV backed to the Bitcoin. Does that exist? No, not yet. So like a lot of that's going to, in theory, unlock like a huge capital base of like it's going to drive Bitcoin price up theoretically because it opens up a lot of capital, a lot lot more demand. So no, it doesn't exist yet. Uh, There's like tons of proposals out there, like getting approval for that is like really difficult. So it, like it's heavily scrutinized. I got to make sure like on, you know all these like investor protection type discussions that have to take place on the you know regulatory level. But yeah, like hopefully like you know a lot of people think it's like not so far away. I don't know. Yeah. So it's not a get rich quick scheme. It's not. It's just it's a very new, still uh, early in the game technology. Really is. It's really a technology for digital currency, right? And I think having a you know you got to look at it like any other investment having a very objective uh unemotional view of it and uh, and i i remember we've talked about this before is educating yourself on it if you don't understand it we've talked about this chase and i have many times in the past like you need to understand it to some level before i think you start investing especially bigger dollar amounts um i think there's a lot of people that have big money and then they don't exactly understand and those are the yeah you're exactly right like it's a difficult uh, learning curve a lot of people get like jump into feet first and they are like the first sellers when things go wrong because like everybody thinks they're like convicted and then they get to the teeth a couple times and they're not so much anymore and you know so like for sure you definitely want to be responsible with it well i know you don't make predictions but our final as we wrap up i want you to make a prediction <laughs> tell me what the bitcoin landscape you don't have to like I mean, I'm not looking for like prices. I'm just talking like generally, what do you envision the cryptocurrency landscape looking like? Let's say, I don't know, five years even is a long time because five years ago was when it was really, really early. So like, let's say five years from now, what do you think it looks like? Uh, I think it becomes like way less like sort of taboo. Or I think it's going to be increasingly common to where, and, and you may not even know you're interacting with it. Technologies are like growing. It's like a very, very rapid pace. It, it becomes less interesting. Like you're not going to have people on your podcast, like trying to explain it because like people aren't even going to be thinking about it. Like the price will be like, I don't know, maybe, maybe higher or lower in here. I don't know. But uh, if it does get adopted, which I think it will, uh, or it's just going to be a thing, not this like crazy idea. It's going to be not looking more. forward to that day. 
just when it's just another thing. Like it's like a kind of just like any other thing. Just, like gold. just it just exists and it is. It serves a purpose. Do you think that'll be five years from now, where it's kind of like a mainstay? No, that's probably like too soon. It'll certainly like be more of a mainstay. Like for every day that it's probably like more of a mainstay. I don't know, like 10, 15 years from now, like it's just a thing. Is that the people the people that make price predictions on Bitcoin? Is that based on that future assumed price when it's become a thing, basically? Or you hear people throw out like crazy Bitcoin future price. They're like, yeah, it's going to get to 250000 or something. Like, is that kind of what people are talking about? I mean, yeah, like people aren't going to stop like talking about it like as this crazy thing until like it reaches some mature state that we sort of referenced prior. Like not 50% drops in a day. Yeah, like I hope I hope those are behind us. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like, but also not like fifteen x's a year. Like, there will be, you know, in, let's call it in ten years, uh, ten to fifteen years. Like, it's it it's much more muted, like in its volatility. And when that happens, like, it's just once again, it's just like another thing. Like, you probably have some exposure to it. You don't really care. It's just within your broader portfolio, and it's used like as a diversifying asset. It's well. Not, Yes. It's speculative play. Like people accept it for like what it's useful for. Yeah, as soon as it becomes an ETF, it'll be um, you know, kind of automatically built into all these people's passive portfolios, even if they yeah. aren't necessarily aware of it, because it's gonna be a part of the index. Exactly. Well, good deal. Well, I appreciate you chatting with me on some uh crypto and uh as always good talking to you. Likewise, thanks for having me on. As always, thank you so much for joining us today. If you found this valuable, please give us a review on iTunes and share with a friend. Also, check out our website at financeforphysicians.co for all sorts of additional content. See you next time. Finance for Physicians is not an investment, tax, legal, or financial advisor. All content included in this podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be considered financial tax or legal advice. Material presented is believed to be from reliable sources and no representations are made by Finance for Physicians as to another party's informational accuracy or completeness. All information or ideas provided should be discussed in detail with an advisor, accountant, or legal counsel prior to implementation. If you don't have an advisor or would like a second opinion, feel free to check out our website for recommended advisors.